Good morning, St. Columbus. A couple of weeks ago, Joe and I were going through a box of old cassette tapes, and I found the recording of the St. Columbus service from March 5th, 2000. This was a special service because the sermon changed our lives. As the lectionary years turn, the gospel for this Sunday is the same as it was that day in March 2000. It's the last Sunday in Epiphany in year B. It's the story of Jesus' transfiguration in the Gospel of Mark. I've been thinking a lot about that passage this year as I'm leading the We Worship service on Sunday. Every week in our staff meeting, we do a Lexio Divina about the Gospel for the Sunday ahead. So this past week, we read and talked about Mark 9, the transfiguration of Jesus. And my story just spilled out about the importance of this passage in my life, and several people encouraged me to record a daily bread. So here's my story. On March 5th, 2000, Joe and I were barely 18 months married and eager to find some sort of adventure to take us away from Washington for a year or so. We weren't making much progress in figuring out what to do and had arbitrarily selected June 15th as a date to pack up and drive west. We went into church that day unknowingly about to set an entirely different path in motion. Jean Sutton, then an associate rector at St. C's and now the Bishop of Maryland, preached on Mark's telling of the Transfiguration and its relationship to World Mission Sunday, which is also celebrated by the Episcopal Church on the last Sunday in Epiphany. There's a link with this video for more information about that and a message from the presiding bishop too. Jean talked about Peter, so happy to have made it to this place. He was all set, all was right with his world, and he wanted to build houses and stay put with Elijah, Moses, and Jesus on that mountain. He had it all and wanted to keep it right there. Unfortunately for Peter, two verses later, they were heading back down the mountain. They had work to do in the world. Jean reminded us that we might feel comfortable where we are, but there is much need and suffering in the world that we need to go out and address. Jean told the story of meeting Bishop Daniel Dang of the Sudan, who when asked by a group from the Diocese of Washington how much money they could send to help martyred Christians in the Sudan, replied, we do need and appreciate your money, but won't you come die with us? As a result, a group of parishioners from St. Margaret's arranged a trip to go be with Christians in the Sudan. In the end, the State Department did not allow them to take that trip. But the group did come up with a motto, don't just do something, stand there. That twist on a familiar phrase really struck me. I listened to the sermon again the other day, and Jean's message rings as true today as it did 21 years ago. Jean encouraged us to give that day. Our money, yes, to the loose plate offering that would go to the support of the Presiding Bishop's Fund for World Relief, but also to give of ourselves, to lead the Honduras Mission Group, or to seek out opportunities to serve through the missionary program of the Episcopal Church. He said he'd be happy to speak to anyone who wanted to know more information. I think this past year we have felt a similar call to leave our comfort zone and go out in the world in a new way. I came out of that service raring to go. 
This was it. We'll go serve as missionaries somewhere in the world. I still remember being in the narthex, that little entryway outside the church, nave, and saying to Joe, this is it. Let's do this. Go be missionaries somewhere. Joe did not share my enthusiasm and said, I'm not going to go somewhere in the world and wave the banner for the Anglican church. I was completely taken aback. How could we possibly be so far apart on this? And in a moment that I'm sure was touched by the grace of the Holy Spirit, because it wouldn't have been up to me to say it, I, instead of being annoyed and saying, why not? It sounds awesome. I managed to say, okay, if I made an appointment with Jean to learn more about this, would you come along? And Joe is so reasonable and he heard that comment and it got through to him and he said yes. I wouldn't be telling this story if Joe hadn't learned we wouldn't be waving a banner for the Anglican Church and we did figure out how to join the Foreign and Domestic Missionary Society of the Episcopal Church. About eight months and a generous Columba Fund grant later, we found ourselves in Cape Town, South Africa. We served there for two years, nominally helping the development office of the church figure out how to use energy efficient technology and renewable energy in their development programs. I say nominally because development work usually has really good intentions, especially when done by outsiders, but it's really hard to do well. There was no project or program with our name on it when we left. What we did though was stand with people and promise to witness about their lives when we returned home. We traveled extensively, met people in their homes and heard their stories. They were incredibly generous in their hospitality and in the sharing of their stories. We stayed in their homes, ate at their tables and prayed and sang and worshiped with them. We learned to pray extemporaneously because as the outsiders, we were often asked to be the ones to lead prayer. I still don't think I do it very eloquently, but I'm not afraid of it anymore. And then we came home and as we promised the people we had met, we told their stories and shared their lives across the world. Our time in Southern Africa was a life-changing experience for us. Our time there helped us to see the world in a new way, reset our busy Washington lives, strengthen our marriage and our faith. And the most life-changing thing that happened though is that we came home as parents. There was no slipping back into an old life. Even now, 18 years later, I still worry that we didn't do enough. And then I remember, don't just do something, stand there.